Well, are we feeling Christmassy yet? You there? A little bit? Starting to get there? Hopefully we're going to help with that uh, this morning. I thought, how about we just do this? How about we take a little bit of a survey? Uh, so who has already purchased, raise your hand, if you have already purchased some kind of Christmas drink. Raise your hand, some kind of Christmas drink, like, I don't know, peppermint, peppermint spice latte, I don't know, I don't know the name, something along that line, uh, eggnog latte, or who's really hardcore and has gone straight eggnog already? You are hardcore, that's kind of gross, but good on you. Uh, how about, has, who's, who, raise your hand if you've watched a Christmas movie, some sort of Christmas movie, okay, yep, maybe you've watched your, uh, you know, your Elf, or Home Alone, or or I don't know, um, a cheesy Hallmark movie, anybody? Cheesy Hallmark movie? I was a good husband and watched one with my wife just the other night and I tried really hard not to laugh. Didn't win. Um, how about uh, anybody go to a Christmas event of some sort, like a neighborhood Christmas tree lighting, the, the city Christmas tree lighting, or a Christmas party already? Jordan's Furniture, anyone? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about? That is uh, free. It's free, and that's my favorite price. Uh, who has who decorated their house already? Anybody already? Oh, yeah. Like the day after Thanksgiving decorators right here? Yeah, I got that mistletoe up ASAP. And I uh, do everything in my power to, to trick my wife into meeting me under the mistletoe. Oh, oh, excuse me, where are we going? And then next thing you know, we're under the mistletoe score. Uh, anybody, strung up, anybody strung up Christmas lights already? Anybody already strung up some Christmas lights? You done this? Okay. We did that last night. We got to uh, put up our Christmas tree and uh, wrap it with with uh, the lights and that whole deal. And for me, I think about uh, through, the, through the holiday season, just all the different uh, decorations that we put up. And I like to kind of let them point myself and my family uh, towards just, just other uh, greater realities of Christmas, of, of, of the Advent season. So obviously, uh, gifts should ultimately point us to the gift, Jesus, right? Evergreen trees and wreaths and, and, and garland, all of that points us to life, right? Uh, living life found in, in Jesus. And, and also the lights, right? The lights are going to point us to Jesus, right? It's always only, always only Jesus. And so uh, for me as a, as a kid, I loved, uh, one of the things I always would do is once we got the Christmas tree up, I would lay on my back and slide up under the Christmas tree. And, and squint my eyes and just let them be blurry. And I always thought about uh, the shepherds out there when the angels were up there uh, declaring that, that the Messiah, the Savior, had come. And so lights point us to, to Jesus. And, and we're going to see a lot of light through the holiday season. Tree lights, candle lights, lit up houses, all of that kind of stuff. And the, the, the theme of light is all over the, the Christmas stories from those angels lighting up the sky to the star that the, that the wise men, the magi, followed. Uh, the light theme is all over the Christmas story, but really the light theme uh, is first played out and seen uh, 700 years prior to the manger uh, in the book of Isaiah, uh, the Isaiah the prophet in chapter 9, and I'll just put it on the screen, uh, chapter 9. Uh, listen to what he says in, in 2 through 7, a word from the Lord that he then declares for God's people. Uh, he gets a word uh, long before the, the, the child is actually here. It says this. It says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you with joy at the harvest as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of, for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, 
to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So this prophecy starts off here with the coming of of a great light in the form of a a child, in the form of a son who will ultimately uh, end war, who will ultimately end uh, oppression, who will end all darkness because he, this this child, is the great light. He's going to come, he's going to cast out all darkness and he's going to bring his his peace and his joy in our hearts first and then he'll bring it to the land and to all realms of reality. And so what we're going to do today is just begin by thinking on how the light comes into our hearts at Christmas. And so again, verse 2 here uh, in Isaiah, it says that the, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And here's what we need to understand right out of the gate. We need to understand that when this prophecy was given, many people did not think that they were walking in darkness. And similarly today, many people do not have any idea or or any understanding that they too walk in darkness. And that's a problem when you're walking in darkness and you don't realize that you're walking in darkness. A few years back, uh, I was playing uh, with my kids in the house and uh, and I, I made up this game. Uh, I called it Blind Hide and Go Seek. Now, we've been playing a lot of hide and go seek uh, as a family. And uh, the problem was we exhausted uh, all of the hiding spots in our house. And when we play hide and go seek, our kids would be, you know, running around chasing after each other. And it would ultimately, for the boys, end in like a beatdown and, and blood or, or you know, uh, something. Uh, and it would also end in, you know, people smashing things and, and breaking things. So I had this, this brilliant idea. I thought I would make a, a twist to make it a little more interesting since we don't have uh, any new hiding spots and uh, I thought it would also uh, prevent blood and tears because they couldn't see each other and, and they wouldn't be running because they were blindfolded and then it was funny because as I said it I just realized this is stupid you we're gonna play blind hiding go seek and as it's coming out it's one of those like wait a second you really think blindfolding the children while playing hide and go seek is going to prevent injuries and and so we ended up going on and, and playing uh the the game they were they were so excited it was too late I had to go forward with it and we played it and here's what was crazy is that unlike just about every other game of hide-and-go-seek, it actually worked. Like, nobody got hurt. It it appeared to me to be the safest game of hide-and-go-seek that we have ever played. And I started to think about it. What's up with that? Why is that? And as I thought about it, it was because they were blind. I put blindfolds over their eyes. They were blind, and they knew it. And because they were blinded and they knew it, they were cautious. And so they were walking around with their hands out. And my boys, you know, one hand out and the other hand covering their little boy parts because they don't trust their brother to come and, you know, punch them uh, while they're blindfolded. And so they, they had to be very cautious and they, they were being, uh, being, being careful uh, because they didn't want to bump into stuff and they didn't want to get hit. And, and so they were, they were cautious and, and thoughtful. They were blind and they, they knew it. 
But what's worse is if you're blind and you don't know it, so you're not cautious, your hands aren't out, you're not mindful, you're, you're not looking for the traps, you're not aware of what's around the corner, what you're going to come up against. You're oblivious to the reality that there's a pit, as the Bible calls it, a pit right in front of you uh, that, that you could trip and, and fall into. And so what we're looking at uh, this morning is, is, as we enter this theme of light, is I want to look at, at not physical blindness, but I want to look at spiritual blindness, which is an unbelievably dangerous reality because so many people are, are blind spiritually and they don't know it. So many people uh, think they're very enlightened and yet there's, there's traps all around them that they may be tripped up on and they don't, they don't know because they think that they can see. And so what I want to do is I want to look just for the next little while at, at Luke chapter 18. Uh, so if you want to flip on over there, Luke chapter 18, just kind of expanding on Isaiah uh, 9 verse 2. And I want to spend our time uh, here. We'll put it on the screen. We got it on the church app. We got Bibles around the room if you want uh, one of those uh, for yourself. You can even bring that home. Now, now usually Christmas sermons go to the very beginning of Luke, not the, the end of Luke. We go straight to the, all the Charlie Brown uh, Christmas stuff at the beginning there. And we will, of course, we'll get there uh, in the weeks ahead. But I, I think it's important for us to start here uh, first because this is a moment in the ministry of, of Jesus where, where it seems to be that the theme that, that is going on in Jesus's ministry that that Luke wants to point out is the theme of of spiritual blindness and so look with me at at Luke chapter 18 and we'll pick up in verse uh, 31 here Luke 18 31 here's what it says it says "And, and taking the 12 he said to them see we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the son of man that was his favorite name for himself Everything that's written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them and they did not grasp what was said. Now again, I know we want to get Christmassy and go straight to Luke chapter 2. Uh, the baby in, in the manger, and, and not the brutal murder of, of Jesus. But we have to keep in mind that, that the, the manger and, and the wood of the manger ultimately is leading to the wood of the cross. That is why he came. He came uh, to die. And so it's, it's a great place to start, I think, in Luke chapter 18, as he talks about the fact that they are going to kill me. He tells his disciples, I am going to be killed. Uh, it's, this is, in fact, in the, in the book of Luke, the third time now that we see uh, Jesus declaring, they're going to beat me, they're going to mock me, they're going to flog me, they're going to they're kill me. Now, uh, marriage pro tip, if I can, for, for just a moment here. Listen very carefully, men. Uh, here, here's the marriage pro tip. Uh, listen very, very carefully to your wives. Listen very carefully to, to your wife. You have to work very hard to decipher her language and the things that she says because her language is rich and deep and mysterious. And sometimes she will say things and you'll think you know what she's saying, but she's actually saying something entirely different. Like what she's saying doesn't exactly match the words that are coming out of her mouth. Uh, Let me give you an example. I'm going to let you guys use this as an exercise. You can practice here. You're welcome for this training. Uh, So so here it is. Here's an example. See if you can translate. When my wife says to me, are you wearing that? 
is that a question? Is she? I would say to her, yes, I am. It's on my body. Yes, I am. Translation, man, what is she trying to say? She's trying to say, don't you dare walk out of the house wearing that, you fool. Right? That's what she's actually saying. It's, it's a statement. Right? Don't, don't do that. Now, I, I bring all that up to say that that one was free. But, but here, is, is, Jesus, is Jesus pulling a wifey? I mean, is he, is he saying something that he's not actually saying? Like, is there some kind of like deep, when he says, you know, they're going to they're gonna deliver me over to the Gentiles, they're going to mock me, shamefully treat me, spit upon me, flog me, they will kill me. Is he, is he trying? No, he's being very clear. He's repeated himself at least three times. They will kill me crystal clear. Verse 34, they didn't understand these things. They understood none of these things. How did the disciples miss this? How did they miss this? It says they miss it because the saying was hidden from them, that they didn't grasp what was, was said. How, how, do they, how do they miss this? They miss it because it was, it was hidden and they are spiritually blind. They are in the dark. Now, here's where we begin to really see the theme of, of light and, and darkness and, and blindness here is as we get to the next few verses, it's about Jesus and a blind man. So we get into Jesus and, and, and a blind man. In fact, let's read this one together now. The, the very next verse, uh, verse 35. And as he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. When he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? And he, the blind man, said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. I love this, this passage, and I think it's very important for us to see that Luke chose to, to record this and put this right after Jesus tells his disciples that they will mock me, flog me, uh, kill me. And it was hidden from them. Insert story of blind man here. Now, they are getting nearer and nearer to Jerusalem, where Jesus is ultimately going to, to die. And they're, they're, they're now near Jericho en route to Jerusalem. And there's this blind man. And uh, this blind man here hears a crowd. Try to, try to immerse yourself in this moment. He hears this crowd. And he thinks, what is all this commotion about? And so he asks people. And they say, oh, yeah, it's Jesus uh, of Nazareth. Now, he must have heard about Jesus of Nazareth. Because the blind man immediately begins to, to, to scream out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, let's imagine for just a moment this man's plight in life, if we can. Think about where this guy is at. He's blind. He has no sight. Like, no sight. I, I would ask you to close your eyes, but I don't want to make it, I know this can be awkward, and so I won't do that to you. But, but imagine this. He has is, he is no sight. And in that day, people assumed that the fact that he had no sight was because of some kind of sin in his life. Basically, he He's blind because he deserves to be blind. That was kind of the, the common thinking of the day. I know this because of John chapter 9. There's this other blind man. And when, when Jesus uh, interacts with this other blind man, the, the disciples say to Jesus, hey, hey, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his 
parents that he would be blind. And so it was assumed he's blind because of some sin in his life or his, his parents' life. And, and Jesus says, no one sinned, you dummies. That's basically what he said, not, not exactly. No one sinned, you dummies. It wasn't sin. It was that the works of God might be displayed in him. And then Jesus restores that man's sight. But this guy in Jericho, he's blind, and, and people are assuming he's blind because of sin in his life, and, and so he has been ostracized by the people. He's a sinner. He's, he, he's, he's, he deserves what he's, he's got, and the fact that he's sitting along a roadside tells us that this guy is, is a beggar, so he's really down and out. He's begging for help, anybody who can help him, and, and, and likely nobody is helping him because they don't want to get near him. They don't want to touch him. They don't want to be unclean by him. He's on the side of the road, and so he He's likely also a mess because he's got no partner, anybody to help him and care for him and take care of his, his hair and his, his, his cleanliness and get him dressed. He's, he's probably just a mess. He probably smelled terrible, looked terrible, homeless, and increasingly separated from the people and left to beg so that he could survive. It's possibly even worse than the man in John chapter 9, that blind man, because the, 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 the scriptures will tell us that that man was born blind this doesn't give a clarification, but we're assuming that this man wasn't born blind. I personally would rather be born blind than have sight, have it removed from me. I'd rather not know and not have the pain of knowing and not seeing anymore. Than, so this guy, is, it's a really, really rough situation. Now, I just want you to, I want you to immerse yourself in this guy's situation and, and we're to do that and, and to kind of relate with these people and their, their plight in life as we read through the, the gospel accounts. And, and yet on this life-changing day, for this man, Jesus from Nazareth, God who has become a man, who, who entered uh, into humanity with the, the humble, lowly means of, of being born in, in a stable and, and laid in a manger. This, this humble God sees this humble man and wants to change his life. And, and so what does Jesus do? Jesus ultimately will heal the man but first I want us to notice what the man says because it's really profound and we see it repeated it's so good it's so profound here's what he says he says twice Jesus son of David have mercy on me verse 38 verse 39 Jesus son of David have mercy on me now there are two parts to this statement that we need to notice first of all son of David so this shows that he knows that he's not just Jesus from Nazareth. There's, Jesus was a fairly common name, actually. He's not just another guy from Nazareth. No, no, he is uh, Jesus, son of David. This tells us, uh, like we read in, in Isaiah chapter 9, that he's got a sense that this is the one who will sit on the throne of David. This is the one prophesied about long ago. This is Jesus, not just Jesus of Nazareth, but Jesus, son of David. Of David. The second part, he says, Jesus, son of David, who will sit on the throne, the long prophesied about Messiah, have mercy on me, which shows that he has an awareness of his need for Jesus, that he is completely dependent on the mercy of Jesus. Mercy is when someone doesn't give you what you deserve. Grace is when you get what you don't deserve. Mercy is when you don't get what you do deserve. And he says, one who's going to sit on the throne for all time, King of kings, Lord of lords, prophesied about, son of David, have mercy on me. This tells us that this blind man 
realizes more beyond just the fact that he can heal him. He realizes that he himself is a sinner and that he is far from God and that he doesn't deserve the healing of Jesus, but that Jesus would be gracious and merciful and, and, and grant him forgiveness of sin first and sight. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus acknowledges this man's faith and he says, recover your sight, your faith has made you well. And the man goes on and he follows Jesus, a life of following Jesus and a life of glorifying God and worshiping God in in Jesus. And so faith is when you see Jesus' power, his authority, his mercy, his grace, and you put your complete dependence and your complete trust in that. And so here's, here's if we can kind of connect some dots here. What is the remedy to spiritual blindness? The remedy to spiritual blindness is seeing your sinfulness and then placing your faith in Jesus as Savior. The the remedy to spiritual blindness is seeing your own sinfulness and then placing faith in Jesus as, as Savior. Now, here's the thing about light. As you think about light, and we'll talk about light quite a bit throughout this Advent season, but here's the thing about light. Light doesn't discriminate. When, when light is on, it's on, and it permeates an entire room. For example, this morning when these lights came on, I would love for it to discriminate. I would love for it to, to shine nicely on the, on the nice woodwork because if you squint your eyes, you say, wow, this is a really nice room. But it doesn't discriminate, does it? It, it? it illuminates all the graffiti on the back of the chairs, right? And the nastiness of the floors. It doesn't discriminate. That's, that's how, how light works. It, it permeates everything. And so like the blind man, the sign of, of true spiritual sight is, is, is you see your sin. You see your graffiti, your mess, right? You don't just see the things you want to see. You see, you see it all. And, and, and the, the, the man said to Jesus, I need your mercy in light of, of what I'm seeing about myself as Jesus comes and interacts in his, his, his life. Now, throughout the book of, of Luke, physical miracles seem to parallel spiritual truth. And I love how we see this in the scripture and in the life ministry of Jesus. And, and, and here, before the, the miracle, physical miracle of sight, you have a spiritual miracle of, 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 of spiritual sight that the man is able to see. This is what we call biblical irony. He displays spiritual sight before he even gets physical sight. He sees his sin. He sees his Savior in Jesus. The blind man sees, while all the other people around him who have physical sight, actually don't see at all. They just like Jesus for the miracles that they know that he can perform. But the man is, is healed both physically and spiritually. Why? Jesus says it's because of faith, that he has trusted in Jesus and his ability to save him. And so here's what spiritual sight is. Spiritual sight is seeing your sin and placing faith in Jesus as Savior. And if that's true, then spiritual blindness is failing to see your sin and failure to see Jesus as Savior over that sin problem. And here's the deal. 
If this Christmas season, as we think about light and as we interact with lit up trees and, and, and lit up homes and light all over the place and light shows and, and, and we see all these things, if we want to see Jesus as light, and light is a symbol of hope. Think about if you're a lost traveler and the sun has gone down and it's dark and you see a city in the horizon, that city, that light symbolizes hope. And if you want the light, if you want the hope that comes at Christmas, you have got to let the light shine on your sin condition first and expose your sin condition first, your graffiti first. Unfortunately, so many of us are not willing to allow that to happen. We don't want light to shine in some of our dark places. We would prefer light to discriminate. But we know that light doesn't discriminate. And so what we often do is just run from the light altogether. Jesus wants you. He so wants you to experience the hope and the light of Christmas. But listen, you will never experience that fully until you allow the light to shine on your sin and on your sin issues. Last night, our family set up our, our Christmas tree. We went out and... Uh, and uh, did the whole tree thing and had a good time together and stopped by Dunkin' Donuts and got some, some hot chocolate and uh, then got our tree and, and decorated the tree and then we put the kids to bed and, and I woke up this morning early and I went down to my chair to study right by the tree. But the first thing I did after brewing coffee, of course, because priorities, uh, then I went and I plugged the tree in and it lit all up and I sat and was reading my Bible and studying and just kind of preparing for this morning. And I was so excited for my kids to come down the stairs because I, I know how you, you, something like that, or maybe you've done this, you, you, you decorate some part of your house or your, your something, and then you wake up and the next morning you go, oh yes, I forgot. And I, I knew they were going to come down the stairs and see the tree and be all excited, having forgot that we set up the tree last night and we're going to snuggle by the tree. You know how we are. We get these like, it's going to be beautiful. And, and I had it all, all kind of laid out in my mind. And, and, and Isaiah, my oldest, comes down. And uh, as he comes down the stairs, he's squinting his eyes in displeasure. And he says, oh, it's so bright. I'm like, Duh, what? That's not, that's not what I was expecting. And then his sister comes down the stairs. She's squinting her eyes. And here's literally, she says, Dad, can we turn off the tree? I'm like, this is not what I expected. I don't want to turn off the tree. It's, it's beautiful. It's amazing. And I, I told my daughter, I said, listen, babe, if you sit in my lap and your eyes are slowly going to adjust and, and, and then eventually you're going to be glad that we have the tree and you're going to love the, the light that, that maybe is a little bit painful at the moment. And, and their reaction is not unlike so many people's reaction to Jesus. Like, oh, if I get near Jesus, I'm going to get some of my junk exposed, my sin exposed. And so I'd rather just turn the light off. I'd rather not have the light shine on me at all. John 3, 19 says that the light, Jesus, uh, the light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light. That seems so counterintuitive. How, how could you love the darkness rather than the light? Well, it's because light can be uncomfortable at, at first. Anybody ever gone to see a movie in the middle of the day? And you're in the theater and you're enjoying the movie and then you step out and it's like, ah, oh, it's like the rapture or something. It's just so bright. And, ah, you just want to go back, back inside, right? That's your first reaction, right? What was the first reaction of people who interact with angels throughout the Christmas story? It was fear. And what do the angels tell Mary and then Joseph? And, and then the shepherds, 
They tell Mary, do not be afraid, Mary. They tell Joseph, Joseph, do not fear. They tell the shepherds, says the angels said to the shepherds, fear not. Here's the deal. Faith is often uncomfortable at first. It's a little risky. It's a little scary. It can be uncomfortable at first, but it ultimately leads to the the, the joy that we sing about at Christmas, the peace that we sing about at Christmas, the delight that we, we sing about at Christmas. Listen, here's the bottom line. Here's the bottom line as we start to wrap up. You cannot fully enjoy the light of Christmas until you let the light shine on everything. I'm gonna say that one more time. You cannot fully enjoy the light of Christmas until you let it shine on everything. And that is the truth. The people rebuked the blind man because they wanted to enjoy Jesus without his annoying voice, without all the theological jargon that he was throwing around as Jesus, son of David, possibly blasphemy stuff that he was saying, have mercy. They didn't want that. They just wanted to celebrate the miracle working guy, the great, great teacher. And so they, hey, stop talking. They, They shut him up. And they got to enjoy Jesus a little bit in the moment, but they did not get to enjoy Jesus fully. They did not get to enjoy Jesus the way the blind man was able to enjoy Jesus. He enjoyed Jesus fully because he enjoyed Jesus not just as a healed handicapped man, but he enjoyed Jesus as a healed sinner. Because his sin was exposed and then he saw that Jesus was the one who could save him, the one who who deals with his sin. And so that sin was dealt with. And so his light that that he got to experience in Jesus is tough at first. It's a squint at first. It's it's when when you see your sin, when you come up against Jesus, it can be challenging at first. But if you let that happen, then as the light shines through your life, it's it's absolutely challenging. Incredible. The first thing you see as the light shines on you is you see your sin, and we don't like that. But you get to fully enjoy the light because then the next look, when you trust in Jesus, faith in Jesus, you get to look at yourself, and you get to see not sin, you get to see holiness. You get to say, I am holy. And that, that's, that's joy. That's hope. That's the light of Christmas. And so my question to all of us is, is where are you at today? Have, have you resisted the light? I think so many of us probably have resisted the light. Sometimes people don't, don't realize why they, they start to not really want to hang around faith and, and, and resist church and resist opening their Bible. What, oftentimes what it is is because you know, even if subconsciously, as you do that, the light shines on some, some areas that need to be dealt with. And it's uncomfortable at first, but if you'll let it shine on those areas, you'll let it expose the graffiti of the soul, it, it leads to healing and, and hope, and that light becomes a great delight. That light that can be tough at first becomes a great delight because now you enjoy it as one who has been forgiven. And as you look at yourself, you say, wow, Jesus has, has healed me. He has freed me. He has forgiven me. It's amazing. Some of you, you're... You're a person who's never given your life to Jesus, and I want to encourage you today to, to give your life to Jesus, to trust in 
the great light who has come into the world to end war, to end oppression, to, to, to crush Satan's sin and death. And I would call you. But first it does, it demands, it demands for you to see yourself as a sinner. And so many don't like that. But I pray that you would say, yes, I am a sinner. I have sinned against the holy God. And then receive the very next breath of Jesus. Fear not. Fear not. When, when John, who, who wrote the book of Revelation, sees Jesus, the first thing he does when he sees Jesus is he falls down to the ground as though dead. That's the first reaction to light. And then Jesus puts his hand on him and says, fear not. He raises him up. That's what God wants to do. It's a process. Seeing your sin, turning from your sin so that you can experience light and the joy and the fullness that comes from light. I want you, God wants you to fully enjoy the light of Christ this Christmas. But you've got to let that light shine on everything. And so maybe today you want to give your life to Jesus. Biggest decision you could ever make is to turn from sin and turn to him, casting your sin on him on the cross. And he'll take care of it. He took your punishment for you. Some of you in here, you're a Christian. And your sin, is, it's completely taken care of. But we do, we do kind of drift back into sin struggle. And we forget that, that he says, no, you're holy. I took care of that. And so come right on back. Don't be afraid for the light of Christ to shine on you. He's not going to say busted as he shines that light on you. He's going to say, still clean. Still clean. Still holy. I still love you. You come on back, my child. Would you guys close your eyes for just a moment? Close our eyes just so we can get distractions out of the room and just kind of focus on our lives and where we're at in the moment. And so as the band comes up, I want to encourage you to think about where you're at. Have you been resisting the light of Christ? Would you today receive the light of Jesus as it shines on you? Let it expose your sin. But know that, yes, uncomfortable at first. Faith is uncomfortable. It does lead to life and freedom and liberty and to see yourself in a whole new way. You see yourself as God sees you, as he sees you clothed in Christ's righteousness. I want to call you to trust in Jesus. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You call out to Jesus like the, the blind man did, but call out to him with faith. Jesus, I trust in you. I, I trust in you because I know that I need you. I've sinned against you. I trust in your life and your death and your resurrection for me, and I want to follow you. And that leads to total transformation. So God, I, I give my friends in this room to you. Would you transform their lives as they call upon the name of Jesus? And then, God, would you give them boldness to, to let somebody know so they can be walked alongside of and, and cared for. And then, God, I pray for any Christian in the room who they've got their sin struggles and they're hiding it, and you tell us in the Scriptures to bring it all into light. And so, Lord, help us to, to confess our sins to you, to confess our sins to one another, knowing that we're still loved and we're still clothed in your righteousness. And so, God, Help us to respond the way you want us to respond this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.